you for joining us today here at Victory. At Victory Church, we are a community of authentic, spirit-led Christ followers transformed to walk in victory. Join us as we begin today's message. I love those words um, to that song, Not for a Minute Was I Forsaken, and the Lord is in this place, and um, man, that's so true. That is so true. God never once forsakes us. He never once leaves us. He loves us. Through thick and through thin, He is always there. He is always that steady rock that we can lean on. And He's in this place right here, right now. The Holy Spirit is in this place. God wants to meet with you today. He loves you. And that's one of the most amazing truths about the gospel is the fact that it's available for all of us. That has nothing to do with the sermon. That was just something that God was kind of putting on my heart. But, um, but he does. He loves you. And so no matter what's going on in your life today, I want you to know that, that the Lord wants to meet with you. He wants to meet with you. So today we're, um, we're actually going to be kicking off a brand new um, series called Heart Transplant. That's the series title, Heart Transplant. And uh, we're going to be diving into the life of King David through this series, kind of life lessons from King David, if you will. And, and King David is one of my favorite guys to, to read about in the Bible. I love the life of King David and just reading about it. I'd say King David and probably the Apostle Paul are my, are my two kind of main dudes. If I want to read about somebody's life, um, I love reading about their lives and their story and how God worked in them and through them. And I think specifically... One of the main reasons that I, I love reading about King David's life so much is because he was so transparent. And, and when we think about King David, this is a guy that honestly, he knew struggles. This man knew pains and struggles and heartache and anguish, um, honestly, more than most because he experienced them more than most. And we can read about, see his transparency through his story, but then also through the Psalms. And he, and he always points us back to God. He points us back to the heart of God, um, even through the hard times and the struggles in life. And I love that. And um, something else that's amazing about him is the fact that he accomplished so much in his life. This man accomplished more than most anybody ever does. And especially if you think about what he came from and, and and all the different hardships that he faced in his life, and yet he still, it wasn't him, it was the power of God in him, but he was able to overcome so many obstacles in his life and achieve so much. But I think the biggest reason that I'm drawn to him, and I think most people are really drawn to King David, even people that don't really, that aren't Christians, seem to be drawn to him. And I think the reason for that is, is because of what he's mostly known for. King David is mostly known for being a man after God's own heart. That's what the word tells us. He's a man after God's own heart. And what's so interesting about that is when we call David a man after God's own heart, we're not, we're not just responding to or agreeing with something some random person called David. Hey, this is a godly man. Let's call him a man after God's own heart. And then it's just been passed down through the generations. What's so amazing about that is the fact that God himself was the one who called David a man after his own heart. So when we say that, we're actually agreeing with God about what God declared over this man's life. And so that's, that's what I want our focus to be today. As we dive into the life of King David today, I, I want us to focus specifically on the heart. And there's something that's interesting about the heart. When it comes to our society, there's a message that our society, it, it's all over the place. It's saturated our society. 
And it's about the heart. Even our kids. Like if you go, you watch like kids shows, books, whatever. It's all over the place. In conversations, you can't get away from it. And it's a statement. Um, I think probably all of you have heard it before. It goes like this. Follow your, you guys know the rest. Follow your heart, right? Follow your heart. And at first, it kind of seems like, hey, that's an encouraging statement, right? That's, that's good. Follow your heart. But honestly, it's really dangerous. It's really scary. It's really dangerous when you honestly understand what that message means and what that message is conveying to us. Because that phrase, follow your heart, and again, it's saturated all of our, I mean, our whole society, even our kids are being fed this message. And what this message tells you is, hey, do what you want. Do whatever you think is right. Whatever you think is best in the moment, just follow your heart. But check out what one of the wisest men, really the wisest men that ever lived other than Jesus himself, said about this. He said, guard your heart above all else, says Solomon, for it determines the course of your life. That's Proverbs 4.23. Did you hear the last part of that? It determines the course of your life. In other words, whatever you give your heart to, whatever controls your heart, will ultimately control the outcome of your life. That's what Solomon is telling us. And guys, that's why it's so important for us to understand that we're called to chase after the heart of God, not our own. That's our big idea today. We're called to chase after the heart of God, not our own. And as we dive into the text today, we're going to see how true that is and how important this really is to understand. Um, but before we go any further, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for, for King David. I thank you. I thank you for the fact that you made him, that you molded him into your image, and that even through his failures we can see this living example of a man after your own heart. And I thank you that we get to see so much of his life played out, even today over 3,000 years later, and the Psalms, and we can see his transparency and how he points us back to you even through those struggles. And, and I thank you for that. And I pray, God, that you would help all of us to be people after your own heart. Every single one of us. I pray that you would teach us what that means. The importance of honestly chasing after your heart, Jesus, and not after our own. Not being conformed to the patterns of the world, but being transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives. I pray that you would perform that miracle of salvation in this room today. For anybody that doesn't know you, that you would lead them and guide them into this relationship with you, Jesus. And I pray for all of us here today that you would mold us and make us more and more into your image. Make us people whose hearts beat solely for you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray that you take over this time, take over this service, speak in and through me. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So um, if you've got your Bible, hopefully you do. But if you don't, if you've got your smartphone, guess what? you got a Bible. Uh, go ahead and turn or click to 1 Samuel chapter 8. That's where we're going to be at today. 1 Samuel chapter 8. And we've got it up on the screen if you don't have your Bible with you. 
Um, so we'll be diving in, starting with verses 4 and 5, which says this. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and went to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Therefore, appoint a king to judge us the same as all the other nations have. So pause right there. Um, To help us kind of catch up to speed so we understand what's going on in this story. All of this is happening after... After the um, Exodus account, right, or, or I'm sorry, the, um, after Egypt and coming out of bondage and slavery and, and after, um, after even the wilderness journey, after they step into the promised land with Joshua and all the judges. And we hit on that. We actually went through the entire book of Judges um, just a few weeks ago. So hopefully you guys remember that. Which is really quick uh, with the judges. They would fall away from God. As soon as Joshua dies, they fall away from God. They do their own thing, and it leads to these pits of gloom, doom, despair, and oppression as they're oppressed by these different people groups. And this goes on for years, and then they cry out to God for help. They cry out to God. God hears them. He raises up a judge or a deliverer to save them um, and, and to bring them back to God. And then so they have peace, prosperity in the land for a while, but this crazy cycle keeps on playing itself out over and over and over again. So generations go by, and then we get to this story. We get to the life of Samuel. And Samuel is born, and in a nutshell, Samuel is just a very godly man. Very godly. Not perfect, but he honestly loves the Lord. He honestly wants to obey the Lord. And his life and his ministry was very successful because of that. So so Samuel, he's very godly. He had a lot going on. This dude, if you think you're busy, Samuel was a judge, a prophet, and a priest. All right, So try juggling those three hats all at the same time. And he's coming out of this, uh, this season. He's raised up in this season where the whole nation of Israel is essentially falling away from God. And so because, because he loves the Lord, again, his life, his ministry is very successful. And so the Israelites accomplish a lot under his leadership. And so they respect this man. And they, they, they want to listen to him. For the most part, they listen to him. But it gets to this point when Samuel's older. That's what the, de- the text just said. He's older. And the Israelites are really unhappy. And it tells us exactly why they're unhappy. There's a couple of reasons. One main reason, though. For one, they say, we want a king. Or give us a king. You're getting old. Give us a king. But then they say something else that really hits on the reason that they're unhappy. And what they're really wanting, what they are desiring more than anything. When they say they want to be like all the other nations around them. In other words, they want to be like the world around them. That's literally what they're saying. But the issue with this is they're not like the other people around them, and they're not supposed to be because they're God's chosen people. They were chosen by God. They are supposed to be set apart. They are supposed to be different. They're supposed to be living godly lives and reflecting godliness to the world around them. They are not supposed to be like the rest of the world. But here they are once again, time and time again, they keep on getting back to this point where they're called to be godly and reflect godliness to the world around them. But once again, they are saying, no, we don't want that. We don't want anything to do with that. We want to be like the rest of the world around us. And check out what a prophet, prophet Jeremiah, has to say about this. Jeremiah lived several hundred years after this. But what he says 
it, it speaks so much, speaks volumes to this. And this idea, even that we struggle with today, when we want to be like the world around us, rather than being molded into the image of Jesus, we really want to be molded into the image of the world. Check out what Jeremiah has to say in chapter 17 of his book. He says, this is what the Lord says. Cursed is the person who trusts in mankind. He makes human flesh his strength and his heart turns from the Lord. And don't miss those words. His heart turns from the Lord, especially that word heart. Because what Jeremiah is trying to convey to us is this. We will either give our hearts to the world by chasing after the world and wanting to be like the world and the people in it. So we'll either do that or or we will give our hearts to Jesus and be made and molded into his image. But what we need to understand is there's no middle ground with that. It's one or the other. We'll either give our hearts to the world or we'll give our hearts to Jesus. Let's keep on going in this story. Verse 6. It says, when they said, give us a king to judge us, Samuel considered their demand wrong. So he prayed to the Lord. But the Lord told him, listen to the people and everything they say to you. And, and listen to this part. They have, reject, they have not rejected you. They have rejected me as their king. Do you hear that? They have rejected me as their king. Guys, listen, this, that's exactly what we do. When we choose to chase after the things of the world, giving our hearts to the world, our desires, our, our interests, finding satisfaction, fulfillment in the world rather than God. What we are doing is we are in turn rejecting God. We're rejecting Jesus Christ as Lord, Savior, and King of our lives. That's what we're doing. And that's why this is so dangerous. When we honestly understand what these phrases, like for example, follow your own heart. And this mindset, this ideology, you know, chasing after the things of the world. Just follow your own heart. Do what you think is right. What we need to understand is that message is actually leading us to reject Jesus as king. Just like the Israelites did time and time and time again. When they rejected the Lord as their king. And they're doing it again. But check out what God tells Samuel to do in this, in this scene. Verse 9. He says, listen to them. So God's talking to Samuel. Listen to them. But solemnly warn them and tell them about the customary rights of the king who will reign over them. Samuel told all of the Lord's words to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, these are the rights of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and put them to use in his chariots on his horses, or running in front of his chariots. He can appoint them for his use as commanders of thousands or commanders of fifties, to plow his ground and reap his harvest, or to make his weapons of war and the equipment of his chariots. He can take your daughters to become perfumers, cooks, and bakers. He can take your best fields, vineyards, and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He can take a tenth of your grain and your vineyards and give them to his officials and servants. He can take your male servants, your female servants, your best young men, and your donkeys and use them for his work. He can take a tenth of your flocks, and then you yourselves can become his servants. 
When that day comes, you will cry out because of the king you've chosen for yourselves. But the Lord won't answer you on that day. So in this text, what God is telling these people, along with us today, is that when we reject the Lord, when we reject Jesus Christ as king, what we need to understand is the repercussion of that. When we reject him as king, that means that we are outside of his will. And when we're outside of his will, that means that we're outside of his provision, his blessing, and his protection over our lives. And hear me, that is one of the most dangerous places that you could ever be. No matter what you're going through, listen to me, the world and the people in it, they will fail you. They'll fail you. Even the people that are closest to you, your spouse, your, your kids, your boss, your friends, me as your pastor, you will even fail them in return. Why is that? It's because we're fallen, sinful, broken people in a fallen, sinful, broken world. The world and the people in it will fail you, but hear me, God never will. God never will. And what's so sad about this story is the Israelites knew this. Just like so many people today, they knew this. They had seen God's provision and how he worked and supernaturally provided for them through the life of Samuel and the leadership of Samuel. And the victories, even over the Philistines, you can read about that. And they'd heard all the stories about past generations and how God had delivered them miraculously, completely defied logic how God delivered them. But then when their people turned away from God in past generations, how the hand of God is blessing his provision, they were stepping out of it and they experienced oppression in their lives. And so they knew this. But even though they knew this, check out how they responded to God's warning in this text. The fact that they wanted a king and they wanted to be like all the other nations. Verse 19, it says the people refused to listen to Samuel. I mean, listen, they refused to listen to Samuel. And when it says they refused to listen to Samuel, listen, they knew exactly who they were actually refusing to listen to. Because they knew that Samuel was speaking on the behalf of God. So they knew and willingly chose to refuse to listen to God himself. No, they said, we must, and listen to this language, we must have a king over us. Then we'll be like all the other nations. Our king will judge us, go out before us, and fight our battles. In other words, they wanted to be conformed to the patterns and to the image of the world rather than being transformed by the power of God. They wanted to follow their own hearts, their own desires, over and above the will of God and over and above the warnings from God. And guys, listen to me. That is an extremely dangerous place to be in life. And here's why. It's because God will ultimately give you what your heart's desire. Let me say that again. I want to make sure that you, you get this. God gives us what our hearts desire. And that sounds great on the outside. Like, hey, fantastic. God will give me what I want. Fantastic. But listen to me. That is one of the scariest things that you could ever be told 
when you are living outside of the will of God, when you are not honestly being convicted, molded, and led by the power of the Holy Spirit, God in us on a consistent basis, the fact that God will give you what your heart desires is one of the scariest things that you could ever be told. Why is that? It's because our, our, our hearts, and the word tells us this, Old Testament, New Testament, all over the place, that our hearts, apart from God, will only ever lead us in the direction of evil. That's where our hearts naturally will lead us. Check out what the prophet uh, Jeremiah said about this. Jeremiah chapter 17, he said, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. And think about that. Think about it. The heart is deceitful above all things. Above everything else, your heart, my heart, will deceive us more than anything else. And it's beyond cure. Who can understand it? Check out Jesus' own words about your heart and my heart. Mark chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. This is Jesus' words. He says, from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. You still want to follow your heart? Because listen, our biggest issues, our biggest problems in life are not on the outside. It's not the externals. It's the internal. It's our heart. And every single one of us, every one of us has a heart problem. All of us do. I want to read you one more thing that the prophet Jeremiah says. This is also chapter 17. Speaking on behalf of the Lord, he says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. Even to give every man, hear this, to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing. In other words, God will give you what your heart desires. And again, that is one of the scariest things that you could ever be told when your heart has not been covered by the righteousness of Jesus Christ and salvation and is not being led on a consistent basis by the Holy Spirit. And the, and the question that I want to ask you guys at this point is, and I want you to be honest with yourselves, who controls your heart? Like, honestly, I mean, ask yourself that. Who does your heart belong to? Does it belong to the world or does it belong to Jesus? Because we know exactly who the Israelites' heart belonged to in this story. It belonged to the world because they gave it to the world. They wanted to be like the world. And that's why they talked like the world. They looked like the world and they acted like the world. And because they kept on begging God for a king, relentlessly, even over and above his will, over and above his warnings, relentlessly begging God for a king, guess what God did? He gave them exactly what their hearts desired. He gave them a king. And that's when the first king of the nation of Israel, King Saul, steps on the scene. And at first, King Saul, as we read about his life, it seems like from the outside looking in, maybe this isn't such a bad thing. 
Like maybe this is actually going to be good. Uh, you know, he's, he's tall. He's handsome. He looks, he looks like he's kind of meeting the role, meeting the part from the outside looking in, right? And, and it looks like, hey, maybe he's kind of a godly guy, you know, and maybe he'll lead the nation of Israel back to the Lord. Like, hey, he's your king, not me. You know, maybe it'll be good. But here's the thing. God doesn't judge us from the outside. He, he doesn't judge based on the externals. He judges based on what's going on inside of our lives. He judges based on the heart. And we quickly see as we read about the life of King Saul, that Saul's heart, in other words, his, his desires, his motives, and really, overall, just the one that was controlling his heart was himself. It was himself. See, Saul was for Saul, not for God. Saul was for Saul, not for God. And we see that through his life because time and time and time again, Saul blatantly disobeys God. I mean, very blatantly. And he continues to do this throughout his life and his ministry as, as a king. And it wasn't so much the issue that he continues to blatantly just disobey God, although that was a big issue. But the, the, the problem with that is the fact that he wasn't repentant in it. In other words, Saul didn't care. And we need to wrap our heads around that. It was not the fact that Saul made mistakes and failed in life. King David made a lot of mistakes and failed a lot in life. All of us make mistakes and fail a lot in life. That was not the issue. The issue was the fact that he was not repentant, that he didn't care. He didn't want to listen to God. He didn't want to learn from those mistakes and those failures. And that's why when you step back and you look at the overall grand picture of Saul's life, what you're going to find is this guy actually gets worse. Through his life, he continues to get worse and worse and worse. He's somebody that honestly is chasing after the heart of God. They're not going to be perfect. No perfect people in here, right? Only Jesus is. And you ain't going to be perfect in this life, all right? But here's the thing. When you honestly are chasing after the heart of God, what's going to happen is over time, not overnight, through weeks, months, years, you are going to see some progression, in that person's life. You're going to see transformation in that person's life. They're going to look more and more godly in their lives in certain ways. But it's the complete opposite. When you look at the overall picture of Saul's life, this guy digresses. He gets worse. And the reason is because when you're following this mentality, follow your heart. When you're chasing after the things of the world, following your own heart, listen to me, that's where it'll lead you. It will lead you away from God, and it will continue to lead you further and further and further away from God, just like it did with King Saul. And check out what the prophet Samuel had to say to this guy. This is in chapter 13 now, verses 13 through 14. Samuel said to Saul, you have been foolish. So no mystery there how he felt. You have been foolish. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. It was at this time that the Lord would have permanently established your reign over Israel. But now your reign will not endure. And listen to this part. The Lord has found a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people. Because you have not done what the Lord commanded and when it says in this text that you have not done what the Lord commanded, 
This is talking about a certain instance in this text, but this was the overall pattern of this man's life. He did not do what the Lord commanded, and he was not repentant in it. He didn't care. And so this is what I want you to get from this text, because we could dive into this, but this is very simple. This is what I want you to get from this. Saul's heart belonged to the world, but David's heart belonged to God. David's heart belonged to God. And so why is that? Why is there such a stark contrast between these two men? And here's the reason. It's because David passionately chased after the heart of God. That's why. He chased after the heart of God. See, David isn't known as a man after God's own heart because he was born with a good heart. All right? Nobody's born with a good heart. We're, we're born with, honestly, if I was born with wicked, evil hearts that will lead us to do wicked, evil things, so was David. David is known as a man after God's own heart because he passionately and relentlessly chased after the heart of God on a consistent basis. Which is why even through his failures and his mistakes, and this man made a lot of mistakes, and some that were really, really big mistakes, and we're going to talk about that in the weeks to come. But even through his mistakes and his failures, people could see, still see his incredible heart, his passion, and his love for God, and his love for God's people. And it was contagious. It was contagious. That's why we're still talking about it over 3,000 years later to this day. And so at this point, it kind of generates this question, well, how can we be people kind of like David that chase after the heart of God rather than chasing after our own hearts and chasing after the world like the Israelites and like Saul were doing in this text? And so what I want to do, I want to end with just a few things that we can learn from King David. Some of his own words about this. And the first thing that we can do in order to help us chase after the heart of God is ask him to show you. Ask him to show you. Check out what David says, Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. This is what David says. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. So the first thing is honestly just go humbly before him and ask him. Ask him to show me, God, what are the things in my life that that you want to break off? What are the things in my life that I'm struggling with maybe that I don't even know about? What are some root issues that maybe I wasn't even aware about? Things that are causing barriers between me and you, me and your people, or, or even me and the rest of the world. They're keeping me from shining your light and your love to the world around me. What are those things? Show me those things in my life. And when you honestly ask him, he'll show you. He wants to show you. He's not going to show you everything at once, but he will He will show you. But here's the thing. When you ask and when he shows you, it doesn't just stop there. Next is we've got to listen and we've got to respond to whatever it is that he's showing us and that he's calling us to do. So the first thing is ask him to show you. 
and then from that respond to whatever it is that he tells you to do. The second thing, surround yourself with his people. Surround yourself with his people. Uh, Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, David says this. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Okay, so what does that mean? Does that mean that we don't have relationships with people that are that are not Christians? Is that what, is that, what that means? No. No, we're, we're called to build relationships with people that don't know Jesus, to fulfill the Great Commission. Jesus to built relationships with people that, that were away from him and called him to himself. So we're called to do that, to have a relationship with people that don't know Jesus so that we can bring them into a relationship with Jesus. But here's the deal. It's, a, it's different. It's different having a relationship with people that don't know Jesus and then bringing them into your inner circle. You know what I mean by that? Your inner circle of relationships. The people that you do the majority of your life with. The people that really have your ear, that, are, that have your back. The people that you go to for your advice, for accountability, for mentorship. Those people. Even, even in the secular world, they know this. They know that the people that we hang out with the most will be the people that we become like the most. And so doesn't it make sense to surround ourselves with other godly people, people that aren't perfect, but they're honestly chasing after the heart of God? Because, guys, when we do, we will naturally, just by hanging out with them, doing life with them on a consistent basis, we will naturally become more and more like Jesus. So the second thing is surround yourself with his people. And the third thing, we're going to end with this one. The third thing is get in his word. Get in his word, man. And not just on Sunday mornings when we, we hear a sermon and we get into the text and, and we don't even have time to go through like, uh, you know, hardly a fraction of this stuff. You could go through this text that we went through today and spend hours on this. So not just on Sunday mornings, I'm talking about in your daily life. By yourselves, get alone with God. Get into his word. He will speak to you through his word. And surround yourself in these small groups, like community groups, for example. That's one of the big things, um, that one of the big reasons that we have these. is so that you can actually engage in the word of God with God's people. It's hard to do that. We're not really in conversation right now, right? Like I'm doing the talking, but as we engage with God's people and get in the word together, get into the word on a consistent basis. This is what King David has to say about this. This is uh, Psalm 119, verse 11. He says, I have treasured your word. And my heart, so that my, uh, I may not sin against you. And in that same chapter, uh, chapter 119 of Psalm, he said, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. A lamp for my feet and a light on my path. I didn't have this in there, but um, Psalm chapter 1, David wrote that psalm as well. And he, he encourages all of us in that psalm to be in the Word, to read the Word, but not just read it, to meditate on it, which means to really think about it, to chew on it, and to ask questions, and to let it mold you. And he says to do that day and night, every day, day and night. So here's the thing. When we honestly take this advice from King David, 
Guys, that's when we'll honestly be chasing after the heart of God. That's when we can go from, from Christians, say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, to people that are honestly chasing after the heart of Jesus. And when you do, hear me, that's when you will know God. That's when you'll start to know his will for your life. These questions like, God, what do you want me to do? He'll start to reveal things to you. That's when you can grow in an intimate relationship with Jesus and grow in a love and a passion for Jesus and for his people. And that's when we will honestly be people after God's own heart, just like King David was. So as the worship team comes up, I want to leave you with a question. And I already, I already asked this and gave you some time to kind of chew on this. And so here's the question again. Who controls your heart? Who honestly controls your heart? Who does, who does your heart belong to? Does it belong to the world? Are you, are you chasing after your, your own heart, following your own heart? Does it belong to the world or, or does it honestly belong to Jesus? And be honest with yourself. And as you're digging in, if, you're, if, the, if the answer to that question, the honest answer is, you know what, I think it belongs to the world. Then my question to you would be, are you ready to surrender your heart and your life over to Jesus today? And if you're ready to do that, the amazing truth is, Jesus has already done the hard work in your place. All he asks you to do is just to respond to his completed work on the cross in your place. And we respond by repenting, turn away from sin, turning to Jesus. Jesus, I, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I can't save myself. I know that you died on the cross to save me. I'm sorry for what I've done to you, Jesus. And please forgive me. Come into my life. Save me and make me new. And that's it. There's no magical prayer. It's a heart response, not magic words. So if you're here today, you're ready to make that response, then don't wait. I'll be standing here. I'd love to talk with you. And I would encourage you, if you're making that response today, want to give your life, your heart to Jesus today, then come up. Don't wait. I'll be up here. The altar will be open. Um, I'm going to go ahead and encourage you guys to stand. As we sing this last song together, and we'll end with this last song, if you're here today, if you're already a follower of Christ, and, and you need prayer for something, you need to talk through something, you just want to come up to the altar, whatever it is, then come up. Come up. Whatever he's putting on your heart, he wants you to respond. He wants to meet with you. And how amazing is that? That the God of the universe loves you and wants to meet with you. Don't miss that opportunity. As we sing, you respond. Guys, first off, I just want to say thank you for joining us today for the sermon. And uh, whether you're somebody that's come to our church or you're somebody that lives locally, you go to another church, maybe you don't even live here. Um, I, just want, I just want to say first and foremost, thank you for joining us. And uh, I, I want to encourage you to, to respond in some way today because, you know, when we hear a sermon, when we read the Bible, when we, um, whatever it may, may be, the point of that is, um, for God to speak to us in some way, shape, or form. And so, if you are a Christian, um, you've been a seasoned Christian, you know the Lord already, 
then the way that we can respond is just by, you know, asking him, God, what do you want me to do with the convictions that you're giving me uh, based on this sermon, the way that you're speaking to me? What do you want me to do? And then respond to that. Maybe it's an area of your life that you've been holding on to um, and, and you haven't been giving it to him. But I want to encourage you to give that to him and step out in faith. Or maybe if it's, um, you know, some unbelief that you've had and, and God has really convicted you of some things. Um, you know, whatever it may be for you, it's different for everyone. I want to encourage you to respond to God and, and step in His direction. And, and the other thing too is if, if you are somebody that maybe you've listened to this and you've never responded to that gospel message, you've never been, been impacted by that gospel message, but now something is happening, God is kind of stirring in your heart and in your mind a little bit, then I want to encourage you to step out in faith, respond to that gospel message. And throughout the book of Acts, um, Acts tells us our history as a church. Uh, it shows us that you know, what that response looks like. So number one is to repent. And this word repent, all that means is just to turn from you know, our sinful ways, our sinful desires. You know, Turn from making ourself God and all these other things in life God and turn to God and just give Him our life. Um, and, and then on top of that response, after the repentance, there comes something else. It's called baptism. And, and baptism is so key. It's so important. It's seen all throughout um, that book and Acts and, and the importance and significance of it. Um, it's this symbol of death to the old self and, and then um, birth to uh, this new life in Christ. And we're, 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 uh, we die with Christ to the old self and we are raised with Christ to, to walk in this new life. And it's a command from Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if you have made that commitment to Christ, if you have stepped out um, and you are wanting to follow Christ, then I want to encourage you to take that next step and be baptized somewhere. Whether it's if you have a local church that you want to go be baptized at, I encourage you to do that. Um, if you don't have a church, we would love to be able to celebrate that with you um, here. But I encourage you, first and foremost, to do that, to, to talk with someone, um, to get counsel on what this means, to seek discipleship as well. So. Um, I encourage you to do those things. We would love to talk with you. We are praying for you. I want you to know that you are loved and you are prayed for. So if you're ready to take that next step in your relationship with Christ, um, and if you want to take that next step with us, then we, are, we, we would welcome you with open arms. And so there's some links that we're going to provide below for you. Uh, please check that out. Um, and again, if you, if you have any prayer requests, um, please contact us. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. And we're excited about taking this next step with you.